room. God, I pray that especially they would not view singleness as a, uh, a sentence to be endured, but an opportunity from you to grow closer to you, to be used by you. God, I pray that you would fill them with grace, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. God, that they would maximize their singleness and that they would make you known. They would look at, look, look, make the most of this opportunity. So, Lord, please, I pray that our singles would show this community that you are enough, that you are sufficient, that you meet all of our relational needs. God, we thank you for the mercy ministries that are occurring in our church. We thank you that there are men and women in this church that are making a difference in Carrollton. We thank you specifically for providing a home for Nathan. God, that is from you. God, I pray that as a church, we would continue to serve Nathan and help him and that we would come around him and build him up. So, Lord, I pray this morning that we would call to mind that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that your mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning. God, I pray that this morning we would experience new mercy, fresh mercy right here, right now. Lord, you tell us that you are the perfect groom, that you left heaven and you came to earth to pursue your bride, the church, and we were sinful and ugly and didn't deserve your love. God, I pray that this morning we would experience you as the perfect groom, the one who, who loved us so much that he gave up his life. So Lord, this morning, draw us closer into your steadfast, unconditional love. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, at this time, our kids can be dismissed to go to Children's Church. So if y'all want to get up and do that. And then I'm going to real briefly introduce our speaker this morning. We actually flew in a speaker from Normal, Illinois. All right, so he is a big-time guy. But we have, if you've been at our marriage conference uh, that occurred yesterday, and we'll wrap up this afternoon, Bob and Karen Smart are coming from... Christ Church in Normal, Illinois, and if you've interacted with Bob at all, you would know that his affection, his desire for God is not normal, all right? He is very passionate. Uh, he is very committed uh, to helping men and women rest in the gospel. So if you guys could, let's welcome up Bob as he preaches this morning. Somebody left their notes up here. Dear sweetheart, sorry I, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nathan, your name means gift from God. And you might feel like, oh boy, everybody's so, such a gift to me, but you function in a way for us to realize grace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you mightily all your days. And when you get to heaven, it'll make so much sense. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. The text is also on the screen here. I'm so thankful to be here to be invited to my church greets you. PCA Church, Christ Church, in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, where State Farm Insurance is, where Illinois State University is, and 
and so forth. A lot of cornfields. I didn't want to move there. My last name is Smart. I didn't want to move to normal. <laughs> I'd been made fun of all my life. My report card said Smart Robert. They always put the last name first, and I was very thankful for that. I thought no one would marry me because my last name was Smart. My, our friends asked my wife, Karen, what's your maiden name? She says, oh, it's gross. <laughs> That's okay, tell us anyway. It's gross. Like we said, tell us. We won't mind. Um, she was thrilled. <laughs> it actually has become popular now. Smartphones and things like that. I really appreciate this church, the people and the disposition the ethos that is reflected amongst the people so far that I've met on your pastoral team, campus outreach, and the people in the marriage conference. And I'm very thankful to have gotten to know you and uh, we'll lift you up in prayer in the weeks to come. And I chose this text because um, I've done so many weddings on Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2. and I covered those texts a bit in the seminar, and I thought Deuteronomy chapter 32, 11 will force me to not preach real long and to stay right there. God, it says... He is the subject. As Moses is preaching, before his death, he says, God, he, and then verse 11, like he, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings and catching them, bearing them on its pinions. Father, we pray that you would work powerfully by and with the word through an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's got to be more than buildings and even this group. We praise you and thank you that all the saints that have gone before us are with you in praise and worship. The martyrs say, how long, O Lord? And the unfallen angels worship you and praise you. And even though they have no sin, they cover their eyes and their feet and proclaim, holy, holy, holy. We praise you and thank you here today and consider all the peoples of the earth that you have redeemed through the finished work of the cross, that there are sins are blotted out. 
and that you have accomplished all that is necessary for the application of salvation for all the peoples of the earth whom you have chosen out of the orphanage of this world to be your own precious sons and daughters. Because you delight, Lord Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory before the Father and sing over them. We praise you and thank you for this text and ask that you would work in a way that speaks to each person here, wherever they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible begins and ends with marriage. It begins in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve. It carries on through the progress of redemption through Christ and his love for the church. It ends in the consummation with all God's people as the bride of Christ. Eating, drinking, enjoying, and celebrating Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus says at that point, at last, my people are with me and I am with my people. To become a Christian is to be engaged with Christ. It's to taste his promise and his love, but we still wait, we still groan, we still look forward to the wedding. After Karen agreed to marry me and we began a six-month process of engagement, it was tough every night to say, well, good night. I mean, would you marry me? Sure. And then you say, good night. See you tomorrow. We are in waiting for that one fine day. The central motif is about the Bible is that one will come through the seed of the woman and will crush Satan's head, the evil one who messed with Eve and destroyed marriages, destroyed and polarized all things. He pays. I mean, uh, Christ crushed his head on the cross and he's coming again to deliver him into hell and deliver his bride forever from all that's wrong, all that's fallen. In the meantime, God speaks to us through his word and creation, but in his word, he reveals himself sometimes with metaphors. Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. At other times, as in this passage, he uses a simile. I didn't study much in school. There's a few English professors perhaps here. Nathan got a degree now, I think, in English, right? And so you know a simile uses like or as. So our text says, like an eagle. God reveals himself sometimes like a father. Here God is like a parental eagle who treats us as his eaglets. So after a mighty redemption, 
through the blood of a lamb, out of slavery, he brings his people through the wilderness and reveals himself post-redemption as one who is like a parental eagle with eaglets, something very familiar for the people of God who are now by the, by the mountains and about to cross into the promised land. They would have observed, observed what an eagle is like. God is like an eagle. God will care for and train his eaglets to soar like himself and to himself. And like a parental eagle, he will do three things in your life and mine. The first is he'll stir up the nest. The second is he'll hover over us. And the third is he'll spread out his wings, swoop down and save us and bring us to himself. And he'll do this in your marriages and in your families. He'll do this whether you're married or not married. And you're his people and you call out upon him as your only refuge under the shadow of his wings. Number one, God stirs up our nests. Verse 11a, like an eagle that stirs up its nests. A pair of parental eagles take up to six weeks to build a nest for the eaglets. The nest is high above. It's lined with soft grass, like moss. Even the lining of the bottom of the nest is made with feathers, gentle and secure and tender for the eaglets. Then for 12 months, I'm sorry, then for 12 more weeks, so six weeks for that, then for 12 more weeks, the eaglets rest and grow in the nest and learn to trust their parents for food and tenderness. And then suddenly, into the nest, powerful talons dig into the eaglets, into our comfort zones, so that God's word is proved true in Psalm 62. Two things I know of you, O God, that you are tender and that you are strong. God stirs up our nest. What is God saying? God is saying, I'm like a parental eagle with eaglets who one day suddenly stirs up our comfortable nest and announces it's time for flying lessons. The context is that Joseph, through suffering and all that seemed wrong, ended up discovering and proclaiming in God's providence he was brought to Egypt for the saving of many nations. And he says this to his brothers, the 12 brothers of Israel, grow into the 12 tribes, and they live in the best land called Goshen. It is a beautiful nest. And God 
gives them comfort, and then eventually, surprisingly, a new pharaoh comes along, and it's like the contraction wombs begin, the contractions in a womb begin to make the womb uncomfortable, and suddenly these talons are strong and they're forced out, and there's a mighty redemption. God is pushing us out of the very nest he built for us. God stirs up the nest. God stirs up the nest when you, teenagers, begin to discover poverty. When you go on short-term mission trips, when you see your friends fall apart, when you realize that you've been living in a nest and it's wonderful and your parents raised you so tenderly, but suddenly you've got to grow up. Suddenly you've got to figure out who you are as an adult separate from mom and dad, and suddenly you're out there in life. You're on the university campus or for whatever it is. God will stir up your nest. You will not be in the nest forever. You must leave. Sometimes there's conflict in the home during those years because God is stirring up things in your heart, a calling and a passion to serve and to do something great with your life. College students, the moment you feel like you finally get settled in the nest and you get fellowship and maybe you're growing and so forth, suddenly it's time to leave. People are looking for jobs and discovering their vocational call and so forth. Some are getting married and you will experience the stirring up of the nest. Sometimes there's a couple that has to move because of a job. Some of you I've spoken here came and moved to this area recently and you, you, you went through that process. Young marrieds, you can get your nest all stirred up when you have a child. People told us that it would be an adjustment to be married. We went for counseling with a preacher was Alistair Begg, and we would drive home, and it was, it was great. And marriage was a great adjustment. I, I, we enjoyed it. And then they said, when Karen was pregnant, now having children, that's a real adjustment. And we thought, bring it on. <laughs> we didn't realize. <laughs> Our first had colic. And our nest was stirred. In fact, our nest has never really been the same after five children. We had three. We debated a fourth. God gave us twins. And uh, we went to zone defense somewhere along the line. And... Um, midlifers with teens, empty nesters, even in old age, 
God will stir up your nest and have you move someday, perhaps, to an assisted living home and your days. I remember giving Karen the hint as we were going to her parents the end of the week to give her the hint so that I could ask her father for her hand in marriage and then ask her and really do a really special marriage re proposal. And uh, so I gave her the hint, what would you think about the possibility of maybe the possibility of someday, the possibility of maybe possibly asking your father for the possibility of maybe someday, possibly you and I being married. She didn't get it. I'd said a little more. <laughs> then she dropped her jaw and looked at me for a long time, seemed like eternity, and she said, why don't we pray? I pray about what I wear every day, let alone who I'm going to marry. <laughs> so we prayed, and all I can visualize is Christ on the cross saying, this is what it means to love her. I had no idea what I was up for. I went to see her father and mother. I've counseled my sons, and I've had sons-in-law pop me the question. I tell you, one of the hardest things and is proposing, I mean, asking your future father-in-law for daughter's hand in marriage. I wanted to crawl into the ground and hide. I wanted to merge into the carpet. <laughs> One of my, my the last son-in-law that asked me, we have two daughters, the second one uh, came along. I was ready for the first, uh, when he was gonna pop the question, we were ready for the second. <coughs> And um, we were, he wanted to go to Starbucks. I said, oh, that's fine. And we were sitting down and he said, so I was thinking about asking you for your daughter's hand in marriage. Lizzie is like adorable, precious, our last daughter, you know, and I'd already been ready for this, but the way he said it wasn't right. <laughs> I mean, I know all about grace and the gospel, but I didn't want to make him earn it, but I said, why don't you ask me then? Not... I was thinking about asking you, may I please have your daughter's hand in marriage? Yes. Weddings will stir your nest. I have walked two daughters down the aisle and I have given them to young men I have stood with two of my sons as they walk down the aisle and out and leave mother and father with their bride. 
and now empty nest syndrome. We've moved Karen's parents. And led, we led both parents to the Lord, both sets. But her parents still living. Father's 91. Mother, we moved them a month after this last wedding of our last daughter into assisted living. Sold the condo. And we've sat on the couch and cried after 30 years of parenting and confessed all we ever wanted to do was be parents. And now we're learning again as God is stirring the nest. God stirs our nest. Secondly, God is hovering over us like an eagle with his young, verse 11. He says, that flutters over its young or hovers over. God hovered over Israel through the wilderness as they traveled. He hovered over, he fed them bread from heaven, water from a rock. And under the shadow of the Almighty, they dwelt secure. He was their shade in the sun and he was their refuge. Each new home or location, each challenging job change, each health threat in your life, each trial or loss, God is hovering over you. God is hovering over you till you realize that he is your nest and you don't need his nest. God is hovering over you so that you would keep your eyes on him and off the nest. God hovers over you like the Holy Spirit over you in creation and in redemption. God hovers over you in his presence in the times when you're falling from the nest, in the times when you're walking through the desert. Are you keeping your eyes on the Lord? Do you keep him as the one who is your refuge, your only refuge under the wings of God? Do you keep your eyes on him? And why do you think he's hovering over us anyway? But to save us, to catch us, to deliver us, to teach us to fly, to make us like him. He's determined to make us like himself, glorious, like, like an eagle, if you will, a parental one. He hovers over us in the midst of falling. I think of when we were putting two little baby boys, our two sons, in a stroller, and our, their older sister, the oldest, Emily, had just learned to ride a bike, and we had a hill in our driveway, and she was going down before we could catch up with her to go on a walk and off she went with a big smile look at me daddy and it was like slow motion as we Karen said Bob go get Emily and I began to run and she went right down onto the street and one car went like this another was coming and she went right through both cars across the street 
and she hit the curb and on the other side was a ravine with woods and so forth and she hit the curb and went soaring up in the air and by God's grace, I caught her in the air. Do you know what she said? That was fun, Daddy. Let's do it again. In a way, that's what God does with us all the time. We don't realize how much danger is in our lives, how the evil one wants to ruin us, put a foothold in our marriage, take down our children. We are in a war. It is too dangerous in the wilderness. The world is not a safe place apart from Christ as your only refuge. Your marriage can't handle anything apart from the gospel. You need Christ. You need the Holy Spirit. He stirs up this, the, our nest. Secondly, hovers over us. And thirdly, he spreads out his wings and swoops down to catch us and bear us up on his wings like an eagle. Verse 11b Spreading out its wings, God says, I am like an eagle, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. In Exodus 19, verse 14, God said to the people, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Has God not acted like an eagle in your life? Has he not acted like an eagle with you in nesting, in stirring, in hovering over you when you were falling? So it is with each of us, our marriages, our seasons of life with our children. Time and time again, we would have surely plunged to our death had not God acted like an eagle, spread out his wings, swooped down, put us under his back, on his back, and soared up and saved us time and time again. You must be saved. Not just one time, like back in 1973, you made some decision, that was it. God saved, his, saved me. He is saving me. One day I will be saved. And along the way, each of us must be saved. You must be saved the first time. You must be saved. You will fall and plunge to destruction apart from you crying out to the Lord to be saved. And God is like an eagle who will spread his wings and swoop down and he will save whoever calls on the name of the Lord. You must be saved. Not some quick five-minute prayer, ask Jesus into your heart when you're three. I mean, really cry out to the Lord and be saved. You must save your children. You can't save your children. You can't just bring them to church and everything goes bada bing, bada boom, 
everything's happy. Your children must be saved. I think of the father who got the phone call in the middle of the night as his son went to college and he knew he had gone away from the Lord and he got this call from a policeman that his son was in the jail near the college campus. So he told his wife, they prayed, and off he went into the middle of the night over to the campus, wasn't far away. He knew where his son lived. He went to the local police station, and they said, I'm sorry, sir, we don't know what you're talking about. Your son's not here. I'm not sure where, who called you. And so he went over to where his son was staying in his apartment. The door was ajar. He could see the TV glare. He sat in his car for a while and prayed for him. And then he, he walked slowly into the, to the place. And there was his son laying on the sofa with a girl. Beer cans and bottles all over. And he walked over and bent down and kissed his son on the forehead and said, the Lord bless you, son. He went back in his car and wept and went home. Months later, phone rings. Dad, Dad, I came back to the Lord. Can we have lunch? His dad said, of course. Drove on campus, had lunch together, and the son said, Dad, don't you want to know why I came back to the Lord? When I was a little boy, every night before I went to bed, you would bend down and give me a blessing, kiss me on the forehead and say you love me. And that night you came, I was awake. And when you came over to me in all my sin and shame, and bent down and gave me grace, kissed me on the forehead and said, God bless you, son, I love you. I wanted so bad to come back to the Lord. And the Lord used you. The Lord swooped down. The Lord spreads his wings out and catches us and brings us back to himself. We must be saved. The Lord must save our marriage and keep our marriages, keep our kids, keep our, our whole being. So don't lose heart when you're disrupted and there's stirring up of your nest. When you're falling. And all you know is that he hovers over you till he is your only nest and refuge. And when your strength is gone and your hope is dashed, don't quit. Hope in the Lord. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. God is determined to make you great. God is determined to make you glorious. 
He will restore your glory. He's redeemed you for this. So he acts like an eagle. He stirs us up, stirs up our nests. He hovers over us. He spreads out his wings and swoops down and saves us. One day, there was a day when heaven's nest, as it were, was stirred up. Jesus came from heaven to suffer. He hovered over the people of God and longed and wept for them to come under his wings like chicks. He spread out his wings on the cross and bore away our sins. Then he rose from the dead, overcoming death, overcoming evil, overcoming all sin, setting us free and soaring up in the ascension. Malachi's prophecy came true. The son of righteousness rose with healing in his wings. Soon he shall come. He shall come again in glory. He shall descend. No longer just hovering over us, he shall stir up the whole earth. He will swoop down. He will bring his people up to himself. He shall bear us up to himself. And we shall forever be with the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would teach us, each of us, where you might be stirring up our nests, where things are getting uncomfortable. We may have been blaming others, but it could be behind all that you are stirring up our nests at whatever season of life we're in. And you're teaching us to move out to move beyond this comfort. We thank you for comfortable times. Thank you for the nests you build for us, for seasons in life that we can grow in that environment. But we praise you and thank you more than that, that you are committed to making us like yourself, teaching us to fly, teaching us to trust you beyond the nests, to not put our hope in those comfortable places, but to keep our eyes on you, to realize that it's your hovering over us that is all that matters, that you will never leave us or forsake us though we're out of the nest. We pray that we would keep our eyes upon you, those who feel like they're just falling and things are out of control, Father, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will look to you. They will look to you, Lord Jesus. And we praise you and thank you that you are a great Savior and you save us over and over again. 
We pray we would not rely on ourselves or get bitter or quit or surrender. But we will hope in you, not passively, but actively look to you and cry out to you and hope in you and wait upon you. You give power to the faint. Those that are weak and without might, you increase their strength. You will cause us to soar on wings like eagles. You will make us glorious. And we praise you that you swoop down to do just that. For those that need a rescue, Father, we pray you would hear the cry of their heart and you would come and rescue them. Just as you did Nathan, you gave him a home. Lord, we pray that you would swoop down and rescue us wherever we're at. And glorify yourself, for you are like an eagle. In Jesus' name, amen.